At Christmas, we are certain to take a look at Jesus in the manger. But do we ever think of what we have that we can put in the manger with him? Today, we take a look at our lives at Christmas and what we can do for Jesus. We hope that you are challenged to give him what you have as you join us in the message entitled, Two Babes in a Manger. There's all kinds of things about Christmas that we remember. Uh, for me, I, there's a lot of things. I, I try to narrow it down to a single thing. I remember very uh, vividly going to all the Christmas plays at church. And I remember they'd always give us a little paper bag, and you get an orange and an apple and candy and stuff and peanuts and different things in it. I thought that was so cool because we, we didn't get things like that when we were children. And um, I remember one year because I, I kind of grew up like Jeannie. We just didn't have a whole lot of money. And uh, you, when you're kids, you don't understand what mom and dads go through. Uh, as I became a parent, I understood it a whole lot more uh, when I had three little ones. And there were certain things in, just in our tradition here in America that's expected at, at Christmas. And gifts is a very, very, very big part of that. Uh, for good reasons and for Christian reasons, gifts is a very big part of Christmas. Uh, but I remember my dad... Uh, one year, him and my uncle got an old go-kart and got that thing running. I don't think it ran, but about a week or two. But my dad walked out on the front porch and shot the shotgun up in the air. And Mom said, go out there and see where the shells landed. And I, I, we ran out there looking for shotgun shells. And there sat that dirty old go-kart. But, man, it, it, it couldn't have been any more special if it had been brand spanking shiny new. Because we were the envy of the whole neighborhood that Christmas, riding our go-kart around. And I remember the year I got my first bicycle and... Those are very, very special things in my memory. And I'm sure all of you, even if you didn't share, there there were probably Christmases that you remember when something that you really wanted you got or whatever. And um, what what I really, though, look looking back, recognize now is the sacrifice that was made by my parents to provide those things. Because I know the sacrifice that Jeannie and I made to to um, provide gifts for our children. And um, this this Christmas, I heard uh, about people putting gifts on layaway. It's something they haven't done in a long time. We used to always put our stuff on layaway for the kids because I couldn't just go out and buy it. You know, we would put it on layaway. We'd chip away at it leading up to Christmas, and you had a certain date that you had to get it out. And sometimes it was... If you, if we were going to have the money to get it out in time. So I know exactly what the people were going through that uses that layaway system. And I heard about um, this lady standing in line and a young man in dirty clothes, work clothes, with his children was telling the lady, you're going to have to put it back on the shelf. I'm not going to be able to afford to get it out of layaway. And uh, this lady standing beside of him walks up and says, I'm going to pay for his layaway. And that lady went on to pay for 50 different people's layaway at that store. And the news began to spread, and people all over America to this, this Christmas, I don't know if you've heard about it or not, but they're going in and they want to know who has children's clothes and children's toys on layaway. Because they know that it's not something selfish, it's for the children. And they've been paying for people's layaways all but like the last $5. So a guy comes in to get his layaway out, and, and I, I can just picture this, he's like, I finally got scraped together enough money to get this thing out. I probably went in debt or I'm going to put it on a credit card or something. 
And they say, well, sir, all you owe is $5. Somebody came in and paid for your layaway. And we think of it and say, well, that's really not what Christmas is about. But isn't it? Really? I mean, because it's not about tangible gifts, I understand it, and that's not what I'm trying to get across today. It's about sacrifice. And it's about the greatest gift that has ever been given to man. And we all know that. We understand that. It's about the day that God fulfilled a promise and gave his only begotten son. John 3.16 God says, God so loved the world that he gave. See, God's all about giving. And folks, it was a sacrifice for God to give that gift to you and I. His only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And it all began back in the Garden of Eden. When God created man and placed him in the garden, he gave him the gift of life. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Then he took him out and he placed him in the garden. And he said, Adam, this is your garden. I'm going to give it to you. Now, you tend it and take care of it. All these trees, I'd love to. One day I'm going to see what that garden looked like. Because I, I enjoy growing things. I, I love to see fruit trees and, and just, they're beautiful. And I mean, it's hanging full of food to eat and it's just, there's nothing to me more wholesome and just to see nature at just coming alive. I love the springtime and gardening and all of that. I love it. And he, he placed him there and says, you can eat of all these trees, but that one tree, don't eat from that tree. If you do, you'll die. The very day you eat from it, you're going to die. And so he placed man in the garden. The Bible says that, that Adam named every single beast of the field, the creeping things, the birds of the air. You know how many critters there are in the world? And he named all of them. He had the full capacity of his mind, of his brain. But he wasn't real smart. Because he disobeyed God. And after he named all those animals, you know the Bible says there was not one of them found worthy to be his helpmate. And God placed him into a deep sleep and took a rib from his side and made woman. And the Bible says that God brought her to him. And when he saw her, <laughs> men, we still have it today, right? He saw it and he said, whoa, man. Isn't that true? Well, if it isn't, it ought to be. There was a song that said, I've seen green alligators and long-necked geese. Humpty back camels and chimpanzees, cats and rats and elephants of every breed. But I ain't never seen nothing that looked like Eve. <laughs> well, it doesn't exactly go like that, but that's my version of it. And so they're in the garden, and of course the serpent deceived Eve and said, Did God say not to eat of that tree? She said, Yes. He said, Not to eat of it, not to even touch it, lest you die. He said, You shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And she took and she ate and gave to Adam, and he did eat. And they recognized that they were naked. They went and hid themselves in the garden, and God came into the garden in the cool of the evening, and he called out to Adam, Adam, where are you? It wasn't like God didn't know. He's giving man an opportunity to come back to him. Where are you, Adam? He said, I was naked and I hid myself. And this is another whole sermon. I'm going to preach on it one day. Who told you you were naked? 
Who told you you'd never be anything? Who told you you were stupid? Who told you you were ugly? God doesn't tell you those things. He said, I was naked and I hid myself. And so he looks at the serpent. He said, what have you done? Cursed shall thou be, and on thy belly shall thou crawl. The dust of the earth shall thou eat all the days of thy life. Woman, what is this thing that thou hast done? You will be cursed in childbearing. Adam, what have you done? By the sweat of your brow, you will earn your keep. And he cursed the earth. No more will it bring forth its abundance, but it will bring forth thorns and thistles. And then he looked at the serpent and he says, I'm going to put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. You shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And it was at that point that God promised a gift that was going to give man back what he originally had, eternal life. That we could be with God for always. We see God continue to speak that word of promise. You know the words that we speak are the most powerful thing you possess. The Bible says that you have the power of life and death in your tongue. You can speak both blessing and cursing with your words. It's the most powerful thing you have. Isn't it true? Somebody can come up to you and say something nice, tell you you look nice today, and just make your day. Or somebody can take a little low shot, some be sarcastic and some innuendo that insults you or hurts your feelings and it just devastates you. It's just a word, but it's powerful. Words can build you up and give you joy and peace and hope. Or they can tear you down. They can curse you. But God's word, he sent his word to heal you. That's what the Bible says. And he gave his word. He said, I'm going to send a gift, and it's going to crush the head of the enemy. It's going to give you life. And he spoke through other prophets, 1400 B.C. Uh, he, he speaks through Jacob. Jacob is blessing his 12 sons. And he says this in Genesis 49.10. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes. Who is he? He's prophesying of Christ, the gift that I'm sending. To whom it belongeth, and obedience of the nation is his. 750 years before the time of Jesus, in Micah chapter 5, God speaking through the prophet Micah says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you be small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. What is he prophesying? That Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah, 701 years before Christ. Isaiah chapter 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. Another one I didn't, didn't give to um, Tim back there is Isaiah chapter 9. And it says that he should be called the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, the Almighty God. The government will rest upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And all these words that God is speaking through these prophets is still his word. 
He's speaking into existence. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, it says that he's going to be born of the seed and descendants of King David. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. And then we see... Let me just back up a minute and say, you know, when God promises us something, as He did in the Old Testament and as He has done in our life, sometimes it requires patience. 1400 B.C., Jacob said, He's going to be born of the seed of Judah, or out of the tribe of Judah. You know, it was thousands of years before the time of Christ that God prophesied in the Garden of Eden that He would put enmity between the woman and the serpent. And all through those generations, people just had to wait for God to fulfill His promise, which He always does. The Bible says God is not a man that He might lie. If He said it, it's going to come to pass. When we give our word, we may or may not keep our word as human beings. I think our word should be our bond, but it not, it's not always the case, especially nowadays. It used to be in the days of my grandfather and great-grandfather, you would die before you broke your word. Sadly, that's not true today in, in, in all people's lives. I try to make it true in mine. I'm sure you do too. But when God gives his word, brother, that's it. He will never go back on his word. And there are things that he promised, and we just have to wait on the promise. And so it was thousands of years after he promised that Zechariah is in the temple. He's a priest, and he's, he's doing his daily duties in the temple. And the angel appeared to him and said that you're going to have a son. We're going to call his name John. That was the fulfillment of another prophecy, that the spirit of Elijah would precede the Messiah. And John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah upon him, one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. And so Zechariah questioned the angel. He was uh, struck deaf mute, or uh, mute. He couldn't speak until John the Baptist was born, and God touched him and opened his mouth, and he began to prophesy. And he prophesied that his son John would precede the Messiah, fulfilling the the prophecy of uh, that uh, the spirit of Elijah would come. And then we see, and we we read over this a lot of times. I think we see a group of shepherds out in a field. Watching their flock. Luke chapter 2. I want to read this to you. And then we're going to back up and talk about it just a minute. And I'm going to close. And it came to pass in those days. That there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus. That all the world should be taxed. And this tax was first made. When Serenus was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed. Everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee. Out of the city of Nazareth into Judah, unto the city of David. That too, by the way, was a fulfillment of prophecy. That he would be a Nazarene, he would come from Nazareth, and he would also come from Galilee, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were uh, there the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. 
And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto, unto you this is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which they uh, were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. What we miss sometimes is the fact that the shepherd was considered to be the lowest um, in society. I don't know how to put it. He, his job, it was, the, it was the job nobody wanted to do. It would be like the guy having to go clean out the sewer. I mean, it's just there, there wasn't anything that you could be offered that was lower than being a shepherd. They weren't even allowed to go into the temple because they were almost like a person with a disease considered unclean. You remember when they went into Egypt, Joseph told his brothers, tell the Pharaoh you're shepherds because shepherds are an abomination to the Egyptians. Well, they were to the Jews also. But isn't it interesting that it was the lowly lowest of the low that God chose to come to and do a concert? You know, people go to three-day concerts or Jeff Dale concerts and something. Can you imagine having a concert of the host of heaven singing? I mean, people go out to hear the Mormon choir. I don't know what they are, you know, big orchestras and choirs. I don't think he got any better than the heavenly host saying, singing glory to God. And we're going to hear that one day. And here is the lowest of the low, got the front row seat on the greatest concert that's ever been performed on planet Earth. That's special, folks. And I think we don't, sometimes we don't even really get that. He didn't go to the king's palace. Tell the king. He told a dirty old shepherd. And they went out and saw this great sign and went out and shared it with other people, which is what we're supposed to do. And then it says in John chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when we think about Christmas, it really is all about sacrifice and gift. It's a sacrifice that God made to give us eternal life, which we had at one point and freely gave away. But out of His grace and mercy, He gave it back to us. That's an interesting word, grace, something that we should practice a lot. You know, when people do us wrong, they don't deserve to be forgiven. 
That's what grace is. If they deserved it, then it's not grace. We give it when they don't deserve it. And God did that for us. So when you think about a Christmas that's really special, I wanted to try something today to make this one really special. And I hope this is going to work. I hope from now on you'll always remember this. Johnny, would you come and hand these out? I think you have some more somewhere because we didn't have enough made. Hand those out. You get get some help, maybe a couple, two or three people help you. I want every single person to take one of these. Hopefully you've got a pen. If you don't, someone around you has a pen that you can share. These have got some kind of Japanese scribbling on the back. Just ignore that. I recycle paper. If I use it and it's got a good side, I'll flip it over and use it again sometimes. So. Joe, did you find that little manger there? Could you bring... Hey, manger, it doesn't matter if it, as long as it's big enough to hold one of these, it's big enough, brother. Because in closing today, I wanted to read you a true story. I love true stories. You know, they're, they're unedited. Boy, that is little, isn't it? Hey, but it's got the perfect stuff in it, brother. God has provided. All right, that'll that'll work right there. In fact, that's the ideal because it's about the right size. I came across this story. Um, thank you, Ben. When I was looking, uh, just for what material that was, what I was going to share on this morning, and when I read this, I sat there and just cried and. I read it to Jeannie again last night, and I cried, and I said, Lord, help me to read this today without bawling. And nobody wants to hear me up here blubber, but it's just one of those heart-touching stories that I I know I'm never going to forget. In fact, every Christmas that comes around, I'm pretty sure I'm going to remember this. And I wanted to share it with you and hopefully make this a part of your Christmas tradition. There are certain things that people do at Christmas. I think Jeannie cooks gingerbread men, which is where this pattern came from, by the way. Or gingerbread man, cookie cutter thing. Um, so people do all kinds of things at Christmas. Uh, let me do sharing that the kids get up on the bed and they read this story out of Luke, you know, the Christmas story. Uh, our family used to get together on Christmas Eve and Joe would sit down with our whole family and read Luke chapter 2 because uh, that was his brothers and his sister and that. So they would, you know, we'd do that as a family. So whatever your traditions are, this would be a really nice one to add to it. It says, in 1994, two Americans answered an invitation from the Russian Department of Education to teach morals and ethics based on biblical principle in the public schools, period. That's a sea law right there. We can't even mention Jesus in America, the Christian nation, and Russia's Department of Education invites Christians over there to teach Christian principle in their public school. Go figure. They were invited to teach at prisons, businesses, fire and police departments, and a large orphanage. About 100 boys and girls who had been abandoned, abused, and left in the care of the government-run program were in the orphanage. They related the following story in their own words. It was nearing the holiday season, 1994, Time for our orphans to hear for the first time 
the traditional story of Christmas. We told them about Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem, finding no room in the inn. The couple went to a stable where the baby Jesus was born and placed in a manger. Throughout the story, the children and orphanage staff sat in amazement as they listened. Some sat on the edge of their stools trying to grasp every word. Completing the story, we gave the children three small pieces of cardboard to make a crude manger. Each child was given a small paper square cut from yellow napkins I had brought with me. No colored paper was available in the city. Following instructions, the children tore the paper and carefully laid the strips in the manger for straw. Small squares of flannel cut from a worn-out nightgown an American lady was throwing away as she left Russia were used for the baby's blanket. The doll-like baby was cut from a tan felt uh, we had brought with us from the United States. The orphans were busy assembling their mangers as I walked among them to see if they needed any help. All went well until I got to one table where little Misha sat. He looked to be about six years old and had finished his project. As I looked at the little boy's manger, I was startled to see not one, but two babies in the manger. Quickly, I called for a translator to ask the lad why there were two babies in the manger. Crossing his arms in front of him and looking at his completed manger scene, the child began to repeat the story very seriously. For such a young boy who had only heard the Christmas story once, he related the happenings accurately until he came to the part where Mary put the baby Jesus in the manger. Then Misha started to ad lib. He made up his own ending to the story as he said, quote, And when Mariah laid the baby in the manger, Jesus looked at me and asked if I had a place to stay. I told him I had no mama, I had no papa, so I don't have a place to stay. Then Jesus told me I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I don't have a gift to give you like the others. But I wanted to stay with Jesus so much, so I thought about what I had that maybe I could use for a gift. I thought maybe if I kept him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good enough gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift anybody has ever gave me. So I got in the manger, and then Jesus looked at me and told me I could stay with him for always. As little Misha finished his story, his eyes brimmed full of tears that splashed down on his little cheeks. Putting his hands over his face, his head dropped to the table and his shoulders shook as he sobbed and sobbed. The little orphan had found someone who would never abandon him, never abuse him, someone who would stay with him for always. I've learned that it's not what you have in your life, but who you have in your life that really counts. Upon reading that, I told Jeannie, I said, I need some paper dolls cut out. And you can either take it and put it in your Bible. I've got one. I put Jesus on it. Or you can just write your name on it. And I thought it would be a nice tradition just to come up and lay your paper doll in the manger.
Because I think by doing that, it, it, it's an act of saying, Lord, I may not have a whole lot to give, but what do I have that I don't have to go out and buy that I can give to you? Because I think this little six-year-old Russian orphan really understood the Christmas story better than most Americans do. Because although it didn't cost him anything monetarily, he didn't have to go out and buy something to give a gift to Jesus. What God is asking us to give him is going to cost us everything. Because what he wants is your life. He wants you for always. And I think he understood, I want to be in the presence of Jesus, and I don't ever want to leave. Because I know he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He will never abandon me or abuse me. And that's really what it's all about, folks. Giving our life to Jesus is more than just believing that he is. Believing that he came. Believing that he provided salvation. He wants more than that. He wants you. Everything about you. And so whatever you want to do with that, if you just want to keep it and and write M-I-S-H-A, Misha, it's a little Russian boy. To help you remember that story or put some notes on it, stick it in your Bible. Jeannie said, I'm going to stick mine in my Bible and pull it out every Christmas. And remember, one little boy that really understood what Christmas is all about. Made me think about Charlie Brown. How many of you have ever seen the Charlie Brown cartoon? Charlie Brown is like, does anybody know what Christmas is all about? And I think it's little Linus that steps up and says, sure, Charlie Brown. And he starts reciting Luke chapter 2. He said, that's what Christmas is about, Charlie Brown. I want to get into the presence of Jesus and stay for always. Father God, we thank you for the gift that you gave in a little manger in Bethlehem. Fulfilling many, many different prophecies, some that I read this morning and many others that I didn't. Lord, I thank you for revealing the real truth to the heart of children. I thank you for this young boy, Misha, Lord, who is about 23 years old, somewhere in Russia today. And as I was preparing this, I thought about him, God, a a young boy, that I, young man that I don't know. I don't know other than the story that I read about him. I pray that he still serves you today and he's still in your presence for always. And God, if he's not drawing back to you, help him to remember what he learned that day, that he'd give his life to you and become a blazing evangelist in Russia to win the Russian people to you. God, I pray that we would learn from that that example today, Lord, that you don't necessarily want gold and frankincense and myrrh. Lord, you, you want us, Lord. Yeah, I'm sure there were meanings to all the gifts that the kings gave you. And Lord, and, and, and when, the, when the Magi came, God, what you wanted most was their life, not just their gift. So, Lord, help us to give ourselves to you, Lord. And as we give gifts to others, Lord, we do it as, a, as an act of love, Lord. Sometimes it's an act of sacrifice. But, God, this is just a great holiday. It's a, it's a great celebration, Lord. And sometimes we get caught up in the commercial aspect of it. And really lose the real meaning of it. So help us, God, to to focus on what it's really about, Lord. And any gift that we give, it's because we love. And, Lord, I think we grasp that. But, Lord, help us to always keep 
the truth and the meaning of it at the center of our of our actions, Lord, and our desires. In Jesus' name, amen.